I think you're crazy if you think that real estate investing is fully passive. There's a major active component to it that, that fluctuates depending on how you're investing. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Chad, welcome to the show. All right. Excited to be here. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Favorite ice cream? Um, you know, I, uh, it's interesting. I had this belief. I'll, I'll answer your question in a second. That uh, whenever I order pizza, I always get mad when people order like boring pizza. And I always say, boring people eat boring pizza. <laughs> um, you know, like pepperonis and plain pizza is like a very boring thing. And so I have like a big pet peeve of like, if you're going to do it, do it right. Like get a unique kind of pizza and make it a more fun activity. Uh, so ice cream, I feel like I should think I, I should have the same uh, appeal to that. I'm going to go Heath Bar Crunch in honor okay. of my wife, who is a big Heath Bar Crunch ice cream uh, fanatic. Isn't Heath Bar supposed to be like healthy though? So like this, this makes it a two for one. Yeah, no, she's she like my wife is like I call her the Federal Health Administration. I mean, that's like what she does. So, uh, yeah, she got a PhD in public health. So, couldn't be more opposite to me in the spectrum of what we uh, what we do. Yeah, doctors don't recommend it, but uh, a PhD in health does. So, I think that's healthy enough for me. <laughs> well, tell our listeners what's the scoop. What do you do today? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm an investor. I've Invested in uh, pro- properties across probably like 12 different cities now, mostly across the mid-Atlantic region, a range of single-family homes all the way up to a 19-unit building, and then also a like high-end short-term rental and a commercial office space. Um, so that's what I do on the, on the investing side. And, and I don't know, I guess I said I'm a pretty opportunistic investor and in that we're always thinking about new ideas. Are on the investing side, are one kind of the main thing that we want is if we're going to buy a property, we want to own it in 20 to 30 years. Yep. So I don't flip anything. And when I look at an asset, that's how I think about it is in 20 to 30 years, does this make sense? Is this the kind of thing that can grow with us? Um, my best friend growing up kind of invests with me almost all the time. We invest together. So it's a bit of a, a partnership in that sense. And that's kind of half of what I do. And then the other half is more on the kind of, I guess, entrepreneurial side. I um, started a property management company about 10 years ago. Uh, about a year and a half ago, that property management company merged with a, uh, another company uh, called Home365. We manage over 7,000 properties across 12 cities, um, about 150 people in the company. We've raised about $35 million in venture funding to kind of propel Home365 forward. And we actually own our own technology, which is really unique. So uh, rather than using Appfolio or Buildium, everything's kind of being done on our tech. Mm -hmm. And then um, on the actual management side, so we work with over 2,000 investors from literally all over the world. And the most interesting thing we do on the pricing side is we have a product that we call OneRate, which actually combines management, leasing, um, day-to-day repairs, and vacancy all into one price. So the idea is 
real estate today, for better or worse, and your listeners may not agree, but we'll, we'll see what they say, I guess, after the show. I don't think real estate is actually a passive investment for most people. I think that people are pitched the four quadrants from Robert Kiyosaki, and they want to get into investing because it's passive. By the way, I love investing, but I think you're crazy if you think that it, real estate investing is fully passive. There's a major active component to it that, that fluctuates depending on how you're investing. And so we want to make investing actually more passive. We believe one rate does that because it um, locks in a more even return, lower variance with rent coming in every month, whether the tenant paid rent or not. Hot water heater goes, we still fix it for them. They don't even know about it. So it allows them to be the investor to be much more um, arm's length. Don't even hear from us for months at a time. And it creates a really great experience for the, the person who doesn't want to be in the day-to-day -day weeds on the real investing, real estate investing side. Yeah. When I heard that, that was super interesting because I think most of our listeners know I scaled my single family portfolio before started jumping into more commercial real estate, first on the syndication side as an LP, now putting together deals. But one of the challenges I faced was exactly that. Like you think it's this passive investment until you get to call at 10 PM or until your property manager hits you with a, Hey, this just happened. What do you want to do with it? So I guess first things first, what kind of percentage are you taking on the one rate? And then I want to know more about like what it encompasses. Yeah. So, so we underwrite it in real time against the exact actual asset. Okay. Uh, so we, so we're looking at volumes of data to say, what is the actual vacancy of this property supposed to be given its age and demographic background and rent and what city it's in and all these different variables that we have access to. What is the actual vacancy over a 10-year period? What's it going to look like? We put that in the model. Then we look at what we actually do an inspection and we actually figure out what, what, what will repairs look like on an ongoing basis, day-to-day -day repairs. So hot water heaters, flooring, paint, refrigerator, that kind of stuff. What's that look like? What, what's the rent estimate? Uh, we take our management and leasing fee and that turns into a real-time percentage. What that percentage is, it's going to range from on the low end, 15% to on the high end, probably 25 is probably a decent range. I mean, think about it. We're combining those variables together, high level, management and leasing, 8 to 10%, vacancy, another call it 4 to 7, day-to-day -day repairs, another 5 to 8. It kind of makes sense of where we kind of net out. We're, and we're not actually trying to profit more through this program. Our investors actually see better returns on this program than on a more traditional management. Uh, that's why it's, it's, it's truly a win-win. What we're doing is making it totally passive. We're, we're completely aligning the management company with us. And then the, here's the real kind of cool part. Not only is it a win for the owner to be passive, it's actually a win for us to have the owner be passive because when a maintenance issue comes up, we just take it and make a decision and move on. And we don't need to actually go to the investor to get their feedback. Nothing against that, but our investors are all over the world and have full-time jobs and have careers and things they want to do with their life. And so we were finding, we were spending a lot of time tracking down our investors and our clients and realized that, man, we could create this program that gets what they want, which is 
even cash flow and gets what we want, which is frees our time up. So now all our time is spent dealing with properties instead of working so much with owners. Yeah, it's brilliant. When you said 15 to 25 at first, I'm I'm sure everybody listening to this was like, wow, that's super high. It's not like I'm running an Airbnb over here. But when you factor in the fact that a water heater, an HVAC, a window, uh, whatever is going to go out, a broken door, et cetera, those are big CapEx expenses in your, your day-to-day management of this. You start to come out ahead if you hold that property long enough. I know I've got property managers at like 8%, but when I have to replace a uh, HVAC on it, for instance, for $5,000, that's going to be a pretty big expense. Is that how you're modeling this out that yep. you're going to include uh, CapEx expenditures like that too? It's, it's, so it's, it's repairs. It's not a roof. So if you got to yep. put a new roof on, that's outside the program. If you have a foundational issue or you need to put it a new driveway, those are, those are CapEx items that sit above and beyond. But a new furnace, a new hot water heater, windows, flooring, paint, all of that, refrigerator, stove, that's all. We, it actually looks a lot more like repairs, like maintenance yeah. repairs in the property. Um, and then, by the way, what you didn't mention is if the tenant doesn't pay rent for any reason, let's say the tenant moves out and we're turning it, we're still paying the owner while the tenant's not there. If the tenant goes delinquent and doesn't pay rent, owner doesn't even know. They get a check from us while we deal with that delinquency, trying to chase down that money. And if we have to eventually evict them, again, owner is completely at arm's length there. We're going through that whole process, that painful process, by the way, uh, yeah. of, of moving on a tenant and, and trying to get evicted. Owners still getting paid for us. So that that vacancy bucket of money not coming in, which can cause some huge cash flow problems for owners, that also goes away. Yeah. You want to come serve the Nashville market with this kind of offering? So so we're not in Nashville today. We, we are targeting Nashville for 2023, um, but we're in 13 markets Philly, Baltimore, Chicago, Atlanta, Las Vegas, Phoenix. You can see our map kind of where we are. We're, we're opening up new markets all the time on the geo front. So That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, one of my questions when I think about big data analytics and how you guys are crunching your numbers is like, how do you get your results from your data? You said you, were, you would go to the site and kind of do an analysis on the property, but also you're pulling the age of the property and vacancies. Like, Talk us through how you're able to crunch these numbers to make sure it's profitable for both you and the investor. Yeah. I mean, look, people throw out terms like AI all the time. And I'm not sure the average person in real estate or maybe in America knows what AI actually means or what it does. Um, so I'm not going to hear it just spitball these random terms. I, I think it's actually more helpful to think about like what's actually happening in the data set. What are we actually doing? What we're looking at is literally a decade of data of managing a ton of properties and saying, on average, when we see a property that's this old, that has these tendencies, what is the what is the real-time learning tech system tell us should be happening to this property? And 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 that that fuels the algorithm moving forward. And there's tons of tech lingo we can throw out, but that's what it really is. Is you think about it, when you're underwriting a property, if I were to tell you, like, how did you underwrite that property? What are you doing? You're looking at all of your experience or you're tapping into someone else's experience to say, on average, what do repairs look like given this age, given this scale, this square footage, this rent? What does vacancy look like? That's all we're doing is that instead of asking someone, we're asking the model to say, hey, based on everything you've seen, tech algorithm over the last 10 years and continue to get fed more and more data, what do you th- how would you underwrite this? By the way, we know we're not perfect. 
I mean, like any kind of tech-driven scaling company, we're okay if we make some mistakes here and there. That's what fuels a model and allows us to be smarter. But the combination of the tech, and the new thing I'll just say about our company is, this is not a tech company that doesn't have any people in it. We have 150 people. Of those, about a third of our employees are actually real estate investors. So we have a ton of people with a ton of experience in real estate, both investing and property management, that are basically sitting on top of the tech, helping us make smarter decisions every day. I think one of the places, you know, we were talking a little about before the show of like, why has tech not disrupted real estate yet? And I think one of the reasons is you haven't seen many companies come about that combined real estate acumen with tech folks. And I think that if you have one or the other, it's not going to work in the tech. So people who understand real estate who try to get into tech are people who are in tech, and there's tons of examples of this, who try to get into real estate, but don't really know it. They don't, they haven't lived it. They haven't been to a courthouse to evict someone before. They haven't had to actually, you know, I mean, these are some, the, the you know, it's like, like we'll have investors sometimes that'll be new investors. And on the second of the month, they'll call us frantically and they'll say, why hasn't my tenant paid rent yet? And it's like, welcome to real estate. You know, like, yeah, yeah. that's how this works. Um, and so I think, I think it's really the combo of both. It's people who understand, great people who understand real estate and really understand the nitty gritty, along with great people who are, who are more tech based. Our development team happens to be in Israel. And uh, I think I, I, I say all this to say, this is the future of real estate is going to be real estate people and tech people coming together to do really fascinating things in an ecosystem where we just haven't seen a ton of disruption the last couple of decades in technology. Yeah. uh, First of all, I want to say thank you for not using any buzzwords there. I like to say that most people who are in AI don't even understand what AI is. It's kind of (laughs) like the quote unquote cloud. If you're in technology, nobody knows what really the cloud is beyond it's somebody else's computer. So thank you for not using... uh, terms there but i think your 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 point is very interesting like technology is very very different than how real estate works because technology wants to say if a then b um and go down a path linearly and real estate doesn't really work that way just like in real estate you're like trying to be creative with your algorithms and the way you think about things and seeing deals and being creative on how you structure them and technology people really don't work that way they like to see a linear progress to that so uh, fortunately, having experience of both, hopefully uh, both of us having experience of both, maybe we sit at the middle of this convergence here of uh, technology and real estate blending together. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, uh, how we think about the world here is it's, this is not, you know, when, when Instagram was founded, it was seven developers in a room who created a great tool. The world took it and it became this billion dollar company. Um that's not the future of real estate tech. It's not seven developers who create a tool and it just goes crazy. And so I think how we're thinking about it is where can technology automate human processes that are repeatable and, and make decisions smarter that can be done every day? Think about underwriting as a great example of that, where you know, actually a machine can probably do a better job of pulling in data, especially certain kinds of properties than a person can, um, or paying a bill, for example. So all our bills, we, we the bill comes in, the water bill, we scan it, and the system bills the tenant, 
and sends a checkout. And that's all we do. The system's smart enough to be able to do that. But by the way, when that property enters the system for the first time, there's someone sitting there saying, hey, let's set this up right to make sure the tenant's paying for water, make sure the lease is set up right. So I think it's that combination of both that that's the future of where this is going. And I think it creates some really great outcomes that, that, um, that weren't available not too long ago. Yeah, my mind is immediately going to like automation. So first and foremost, property management is a very labor intensive activity, especially on the single family side. Do you, do you all only do single family? Do you do like 200 unit multifamily, et cetera, too? Or? Yeah, we don't do 200 unit multifamily. We do like up to like 25 unit buildings. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, it's generally smaller type stuff. I call it scatter sites. Uh, and to your point, it's super manual. It's a, it's a logistics nightmare. Is really what it is because when you're managing a hundred unit building, you've got a full time person there. You probably three, you've got have a couple employees. As the unit count increases, you have more employees who are really your eyes and ears on what's going on. The single family home, you don't have an employee at the property, and so the logistics of managing that is is a ton ton of automation, of process and procedure, and and look, I think what we've learned undoubtedly is automated features just perform better at scale, especially when they have oversight of a live human being. Yeah. And can, so can you give some examples of how you've automated process within your business um, to scale to 7,000 units? I mean, that's a ton of ton of units there. Yeah. So um, let me give you an example. Uh, so the when the when the the tenant has a maintenance work order, they actually upload that into our app, and actually shoot a video of the problem. Now, when they do that, our system is smart enough to know what type of vendor to probably send this to. We're not you know we'll be right ninety five percent of the time, but if it's a video of a toilet that's not working, clearly this needs to go to a plumber. And so what we'll do is on the back end we have all of our plumbers as in this example have ratings and rankings based on the feedback tenants are providing and our team is providing. So the highest rated plumber will get this work order sent to them directly through their app. They get it and they're able to either accept it or decline it. So let's just say on a Saturday at two o'clock, tenant uploads this problem. My toilet's not working. It goes directly to the highest rated plumber Plumber could open and say, yeah, I can fix this for you. Puts a bid in. If the bid's reasonable, it's accepted. And then they can be out the property Monday morning, scheduled directly through the app with the tenant. Now, compare that experience to what happened before. What happened before was a tenant would call on a Saturday. The average management company, no one's working. Monday at noon, the property manager gets around to answering it calls the tenant back, says, what's actually going on? Since they don't have a visual of it, they can explain. By the way, they might actually get a voicemail from the tenant because the tenant's now working. Playing phone tag. Exactly. We finally figure out what it is. We schedule the plumber. Let's say on Tuesday, the plumber is scheduled and plumber gets out there on Thursday to fix it. So what we just did is we had, not only did we remove the property manager mostly from the whole equation, but we just picked up two or three extra days of getting something done faster when 
you know, and, and, just, and also an amazing experience from a tenant's perspective of, you know, within a day or two, issues repaired directly for you. So, I mean, that's one example. Um, I talked about bills being paid where we scan the bill in, check goes out automatically, tenants, tenants uh, paid for their work. Um, the next thing I'm really excited about is we, uh, in 2023, we're putting a digital lock on every single one of our properties. Now, what's interesting is that digital lock will then work directly through an API into our tech platform. So what that means is when that plumber who I just mentioned now says to the tenant, great, I'll be out there at noon. The tenant doesn't have to be there, number one. And number two, we remove the need of a lockbox on the property or the plumber having to come by our office and find the key in some crazy closet. So now the plumber will get a one-time code good for the time when the it was actually scheduled. They'll be able to go in. The lock is a digital lock on their door. They get in, they fix the problem, and then that code is no longer good again. So no key gets walked off with. No key goes missing. We don't have to rekey the property, and we don't need the tenant to actually be there when this issue is being done. So, man, like what a great experience that historically required a whole bunch of people to do a whole bunch of stuff. And you know, something small like, like these things I'm talking about, when it's one property, it's not a big deal. Anyone can manage five properties. I mean, you probably know this. You probably manage properties. Many people on this phone have probably at some point managed a property before. It's, it's when things need to be done at scale, repeatable, on time, accurately. That's where all hell breaks loose, I think, for most management companies. Yeah. I mean, the example with the plumber right there is the value between your 15 to 25% or whatever the one rate fee is, right? Because I'll just tell a story of in 2020, I had a minor flood damage because it was a little drip. Now, had that little drip been acknowledged within the first five days, I probably don't need to go in and rip up floors, replace subflooring, doing all that sort of stuff. And that's the difference between one day and six days of getting stuff repaired. And so just that little feature of being able to upload it on a Saturday, have somebody out there on a Monday or even Saturday, right, uh, can change the value that you're going to bring home as an investor on year one and also on year five of a property. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the average investor doesn't want to be involved. No. And <laughs> you know, if you could tell them, hey, look, here's your pro forma. And when you go through your performance, it, you know, it's going to show vacancy and management and leasing, and it's going to show repairs. And you can say, hey, look, I'm going to pretty well come in at what your performance is already showing. But by the way, you're not going to see this up and down. You're not going to have good years and bad years. You're not going to have these stressful phone calls that you said at seven o'clock on a Friday night. And now I can't sleep because, I mean, that, that's the reality of real estate for so many investors is sleepless nights. I had a, one of our leaders in, in our company who doesn't, most of our leaders all invest in real estate, but, but one of them hasn't. And, and he still said, learning. yeah. And he said, man, he says, you know, without this kind of tech, he's like, I'm not sure I'd ever want to scale a portfolio. It seems so stressful. And I, man, that was like the soundbite. And I was like, yeah, like what a sad state of real estate is like scaling a portfolio can actually be a, a stressful thing. You know, no one would ever say, Scaling stocks is, is stressful or scaling a 401k is stressful. Yet it's true that, that 
if you don't have the right asset manager, the right operations team, the right people in place, scaling real estate can actually be incredibly stressful. And I think that's what that's what that's where we think starts to end. And by the way, this isn't just a home three six five thing. I mean, I think we're doing some really cool stuff, but I think the ecosystem at large is moving in this direction and is going to make scaling real estate and scaling single family homes and duplexes much easier for investors the next couple of years. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask. So first of all, where is Home 365 land in the next five to 20 years? I would love to kind of hear what your vision is around that. And then second, when you're hearing big asset managers like a BlackRock um, come in and buy 6,000 single family homes, is that kind of the goal is to target people like that who are going in in the single family space and trying to scale it? Or just talk us through, I guess, what is the vision here? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, actually. To, de- to date, we actually haven't targeted the institutional investors. Um, we, we have some large clients, and I'm sure over the years, we'll have some partnerships there. But our our key investor is someone who owns two, three, four, five units and is trying to scale and, and you know, scale being get to 10, 15, 20, 30 units. That, right. That's our core base. Um, what we look like, it's going to be a weird analogy, but we actually compare ourselves more to someone like Morgan Stanley, where we're basically managing investors' capital across, instead of stocks, we're managing it across real estate. And just the same way as you can walk into a you know Morgan Stanley or any other kind of large stockbroker and, and say, hey, look, I got some money I want to invest and I don't want to be involved. I want you to deal with it and, and kind of show me returns over time. That's actually a lot what we see us looking like is a store of capital, specifically in real estate, uh, for people who want to be passive, but want to make use of the returns in this uh, sector. Will you guys go buy the assets eventually then too for the investor? Or will you just partner with like a local real estate agent? Or what does that look like? Yeah. So so we, we uh, so yes and no, I guess. So we, we have 35 um, real estate agents actually. Uh, as part of the company. So we are helping investors buy properties today. Um, I started to say no, because we're not buying the property. So whereas a turnkey operator out there, DoorVest, for example, is actually acquiring the property, fixing it up, and then selling it to another investor. And we partner with actually a lot of those, a lot of those folks to become the long-term management company. Um, we're not actually you know, managing or actually owning the asset, but but 100% to your point, we do have agents today. And then we also have tons of partners, either be turnkey operators, um, wholesalers, or agents. Um, we're not actually trying to make money on the transaction. So we just want to make it as easy as possible for an investor to take money and put it into real estate in a safe way. We do a lot of advising. So someone may come to us and say, hey, I'm considering buying this property with this turnkey operator, this wholesaler, this agent, Home365, what do you think as kind of the neutral party here? We do some of that um, because ultimately we're the ones who will be managing the property long-term. Yeah. Well, just like you started off with pizza, you want to make sure every pizza is not boring. You have certainly taken a very uh, mundane, bland topic of property management and given me a lot of ideas that I'm taking down as notes over here on how I could scale even a single family portfolio using you guys versus the way you trip typically do it, which is you hire a property manager and then you ultimately end up managing the property manager. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, hopefully I made it interesting. And um, I, uh, 
Look, I, I said early on, I'm the kind of person who's going to get really passionate about something that I go into. I, so 10 years ago, I had never bought a property in real estate. I didn't even own my own home. Um, real estate's totally changed my life in 10 years. My parents are school teachers. There's like no reason I should be in real estate. Um, I kind of stumbled upon this. My best friend growing up, he, we were going to a bachelor party together in Pittsburgh on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. If anyone on the call has ever been on it, it's a straight road for four hours. And he said, hey, I think we should get involved in real estate. I think we should try to buy something together. And, um, you know, 10 years later, I've totally changed my life, both from an investing perspective and also the ability to work with, you know, thousands of investors. Um, you know, I think, look, I think anyone can be successful in real estate. There's no reason why I should be here. Um I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool space that you get really passionate about it and you get excited about some of these mundane topics and lean in. I think you can uh, create some really cool things for yourself in a short yep. amount of time. Yep. Well, Chad, I want to switch us now to our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Yeah. So um, my favorite book is called The Long Tail um, by Chris Anderson. And um, not sure if you read it, but the whole concept, it was written 15 years ago. It's fascinating. If you look at all the companies he mentioned in the book, if you had bought their stock at the time, the returns are like off, off, the, off the charts. And basically the whole concept of the long tail, it's still, it's still playing out today. And in real estate, it's, it's just getting started. And that is that most businesses want to go after enterprise clients, big, big clients, or they want to go buy 300 unit properties. And yet um, in, in just about every industry, there exists this long tail of in, in real estate, we'll call it the single family home or the owner who, who owns a couple of properties of single family homes. And so I'm like, I've always been enamored by the concept. It, it, it impacts Netflix and Google and Amazon. All these companies are going after the long tail in their space. And I love the idea of real estate investors thinking about the long tail in real estate um, as well. Interesting. Interesting. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the things that you do every day? Yeah, uh, I've got a, a kind of a strange one, I guess. So I start every day by going for a run. Um, it's become like the cool thing to say, like I meditate. Um, I don't know how to meditate. I don't really know what that even looks like. I, I don't think I have the patience to do it. Um, I've always wondered, like, if I watch someone meditate, maybe I, maybe I could do it. But So I don't meditate. But for me, running does a couple things. One, it's a good workout. Um, I love it as a workout because I can get out the door and there's no drive time. You're out the door. You're already working out. 20 minutes, I can be back in, in the house and start my day, go, go take a shower and start my day. And uh, so it works on that, but it also works as this way to kind of clear my head of anything else going on. And it's amazing how it, it just, no matter how much confusion or stress or things going on in my life, for some reason during that, I'm able to totally clear my head. My, my brain gets going and it kind of funnels my whole day. Um, I don't drink coffee, which is kind of weird. Uh, for some reason, after the run, I've got so much natural energy and, and stuff going on that. So I don't know. That that seems to be my, I guess, my favorite one of of uh, just a way to kind of really get things started, and it, it kind of solves a couple of problems for me. I guess. 
Yeah. Most of our listeners know I'm an endurance athlete, so I love running, cycling and things okay. like that. And in mm-hmm. fact, you were in my ears this morning when I was on my run, just doing a little bit of research here for this, uh, this podcast. That's awesome. Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Ah, oh, it's a good one. Um, <laughs> I mean, a couple come to mind. One of my favorites it's, I don't know if it's going to be like called advice, but, um, you know, my, my dad's like super competitive and, um, you know, he, he always says, uh, losing sucks and he's right. You know, like for anyone who's competitive, losing does suck. Um, and so, you know, he, he always said, you know, the, the winners, everybody on race day wants to win. The, the winners are the people who show they want to win six months before race day. I think that plays out to everything in life is, you know, I think if you, you know, if you want to get involved in real estate, everybody wants to become a real estate mogul, but like buying your second real estate property is kind of hard. By the way, balancing a budget so you have the money to buy your second real estate property and, you know, on a Friday night going to make sure the property's okay. Like, these are the habits that lead to long-term success. And it's not, you know, everybody wants the end goal. Everybody wants to win the gold medal. Everybody wants to be a millionaire. I mean, that that's great. And I mean, I think, I think having goals is important, but it's what are you doing six months before that sets you up to make sure that you you achieve, that you win, that you that you take home the gold, whatever it is you're trying to achieve at the end. Yeah. It's really, who do you show up when the lights aren't on? Right. Like I I pride myself on when the lights aren't on me showing up and being intentional in the things that I'm trying to do um, in hopes that one day it'll all pay off. Yeah, I think that's right. I think my my favorite, my favorite saying actually to all of our company is um, the person who often takes the most shots will win in life. Um, And, you know, think like the, the basketball analogy, you can either figure out how to have a higher shooting percentage or you could take more shots. And I've always felt like um, it's kind of in the same vein. I've always felt I can control how many sh- shots I take. And that might mean I have to work till, you know, eight o'clock at night to get in that extra offer on a property, to get in that extra podcast that I'm listening to to understand how someone's that extra meeting, that extra meetup. By the way, if you don't go to real estate meetups, I'm like a real estate meetup junkie. There was a period of time where I was at at least two real estate meetups every week for about a four year period. Think about that. Four years, two meetups a week, during the week, at night, beyond a, a job and day and all that stuff, because it was a way I could both educate myself, build relationships across the mid-Atlantic. Um, you know, that that's how you build success is, is those little things that add up over time. Yeah. The old Kobe Bryant approach, just take more shots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's great. Our, our fourth thing is, what are you most proud of in your life? Man, that's a good question. I should have done some homework and know what was coming here. Um, I'll tell you what I'm most proud of is the longevity of my relationships. Um, it may sound like a really strange answer, but um, I actually take that really seriously. I mean, if you think about even this conversation we've talked about, um, you know, my my wife and I we met ten years ago. Uh, yeah, so far so good on that front. My business partner, I actually met when I was six years old. Um, and we're now, 
you know, what is that? We're 32 years of going on knowing each other through very complicated, both starting out as a friend in elementary school to then being best friends in high school to then running a company together and investing together. Um, I think, you know, I have a lot of examples of that, of people in my life who I kind of create these long-term relationships. I think, um, I think long-term relationships are really hard. I think it's like the, the short answer. It's, it's, it's really easy to just end a relationship and, and move on. And it's really easy to meet, meet someone and say, I mean, how often do you, do you go, go to a meeting and say, Hey, that's, this is gonna be a great business partnership, but how many of those are 20 year great business partnerships? Not many. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's way harder to maintain relationships, but when you do maintain them, the trust build up and the, and just so much positive stuff that happens over time um, with my business partner, Nate, I don't even have access to some of our joint bank accounts. So think about that. We like invest together and there are bank accounts that I, I'm not even on the bank the account, which is a whole other story. Why? But like, it's because I just trust him so much that I don't even need to see it. He deals with the bank account. I don't need to. Um, and so I think that that level of trust, I think is really important to me. And um, yeah, I, I've never actually answered that question before, but I think that's kind of what I would say. Yeah, no, I envied that. Uh, answer actually, because I'm really bad about focusing on what's right in front of me in life and being very intentional where my feet are, which sometimes means that I lose touch with people that are really good friends with me in life. Um, I was just thinking about a mentor that I haven't chatted with uh, in since a year to this day, right? And I'm like, man, I need to call that guy. So I really envy that answer. Yeah, yeah, man. I think like I think the one thing I would say is like I'm really intentional. I think like you know you can create like a text message here and there can go a long way, you know, with just keeping that thing. When that thing happens, it reminds me of someone. I'll take a picture and I'll send it to them. Um, you know, I do a lot of, like, I love college basketball. So when I watch March Madness, I take off the first Thursday and Friday of March Madness. And I invite, like, everybody I've ever known that I really want to still know forever to one city to say, hey, if, if you're around, let's go watch basketball together. Um, so I, I don't know. I think there's, like, kind of different tricks of, like, keeping these things going and I think the payoff is enormous. I mean, it, it, uh, you know, it's all my best moments in life are all with the same 15 to 20 people. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, our fifth and last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Yeah. It's a good question. Um, look, I, I think what's fascinating to me is people who have been able to get folks to do things um, at scale is, is really fascinating to me. People who are, who were so convicted, so passionate about something that were able to, um, get someone to kind of see their way and ultimately drive a cause. Um, so I, there's a couple of people that come to mind. Um, Gandhi is probably the first one. Um, but, uh, you know, just to really understand not so much, I mean, you, know, you can read about him and you can hear speeches, but I think what's more interesting is like, like someone like that to understand, like what what really drove the behavior? Like how did they, you know, when they were when, when Gandhi was twenty years old and wasn't Gandhi, like how, what was step one? What was step two? How do you, you know, move on through that those years of building, um, you know, to really to really get people to move in a behavior shift that you're looking for? I just find it fascinating. I think it's really interesting. Um, and, and compelling. I think these people lead to really interesting people to talk to. Over 125 episodes, and we've never had the 
answer Gandhi before. I All like right. It. Well, there you go. What's the most uh, what's the most popular answer? Elon Musk. Not Elon even close. Musk. I, I would say uh, really? at first it was kind of interesting. And now um, we probably had it said 50 times him said 50 okay. times. I mean, by far above and beyond, not even close. He's the first. Yeah. I mean, if I, I mean, this is going to sound a little, I don't want to sound cocky here, but I always think like, if I wanted to talk to Elon Musk that bad, I would just go talk to Elon Musk. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, anything in this world can happen. Like you, you figure out a way I've got, you've got some connection with him in some way, someone in the company, you can go track him down and uh, somehow you can get breakfast with him. But um, you know, there's some people in this world that are, that are be tougher <laughs> to, to, get, to meet. And those yeah. are the people that, that come to mind to me. So, yeah. Well, Chad, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you and learn more about you, connect with you or figure out what's going on at home 365 and how you could take management of their property, where is the best place we can point them? Yeah. So, um, our website's home365.co. Uh, so we have a bunch of info up there. You can reach out to us. Um, me personally, so I'm on uh, Instagram as Real Estate Hackers, uh, which is kind of a cool uh, handle. Um, so you can follow me there or on um, Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, those are kind of like the three main places that we um, publish content and, and, and YouTube. So if you kind of look on 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 on. Facebook and LinkedIn, it's under Chad Gallagher and uh, under Instagram and YouTube, it's under Real Estate Hackers. And uh, yeah, we try to talk to a lot of people and, and produce a lot of content that we think might be interesting to people who are trying to invest in real estate. Perfect. We will link those in the show notes. And then Chad, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Matt. I love the uh, the ice cream thing. It's uh, I'm actually about to go out with my, my wife tonight for a date and and now I think we're going to get some ice cream. You've got me there like go. uh, craving a Heath Bar Sunday. I think is what I, uh, I don't. I don't want to compare myself to Gandhi, but you did say it just starts with the first person. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Uh, I, I mean, I guess we should get lunch sometime. Is what you're trying to say here. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. 